Thank you very much, choir, for ministering in music. We appreciate it, and everyone said a hearty amen. In the bulletin, we listed the musical as a cantata. I understand they're now called a mini-musical. So you've heard the mini-musical, now you'll hear the mini-sermon. So, many in contrast to some that I may preach. In his book, Written in Blood, Robert Coleman tells a story of a little boy whose sister needed a transfusion. The doctor explained that the same disease the boy had had several years earlier and had recovered was a disease that his sister had. Her only chance for recovery was a transfusion from someone who had conquered the disease. Since the children had the same rare blood type, the boy was the ideal donor. Would you give your blood to Mary, the doctor asked. Johnny hesitated. His lower lower lip started to tremble. Then he smiled and said, sure, for my sister. Soon the two children were wheeled into the hospital room. Mary, pale and thin. Johnny, robust and healthy. Neither spoke, but when their eyes met, Johnny grinned. As the nurse inserted the needle into his arm, Johnny's smile faded. He watched the blood start to flow through the tube. When the ordeal was almost over, his voice slightly shaky, He broke the silence. Doctor, when do I die? Only then did the doctor realize why Johnny had hesitated, why his lip had trembled when he agreed to donate his blood. He thought giving his blood to his sister meant giving up his life. In that brief moment, he'd made his great decision. Johnny, fortunately, didn't have to give his life to save his sister. Each of us, however, has a condition more serious than Mary's, that it required Jesus not to give his, just his blood, but his life. Christ gave his life so that we can have life. But he didn't only give his life, he rose from the dead. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 3. So we think about the whole issue of resurrection. Briefly, one of the items that comes because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As you read through Romans, Romans 1, Paul talks about sin. That God has revealed himself through creation, his righteousness. And so on has been revealed through creation. Men have not responded to God and his revelation and creation. And the result is a downward trend away from God. We find that in chapter, beginning of chapter 3, Paul makes it very clear that his conclusion in verse 9 is, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the law. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. 
No one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. The human condition from Adam and Eve is one of sin. Separation from God, alienation from God. He goes on in verse 13, their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. <coughs> now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Dead in sin, separated from God because of sin. Dead in transgressions. But the law cannot make one right with God. The law is to show sin. Over and over again in the Old Testament, as the Jews would attempt to keep the law, they fell short. They had to offer animals, reminding them that it wasn't of themselves. They had to turn to God. And the same is true today. We cannot have a righteousness because of our efforts. As he says in verse 21, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Then look at the last verse in chapter 4. He, Christ, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. In verses 21 through 31 of chapter 3, he talks about a righteousness from God apart from the law that is available. But he clearly states that this righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason it has to be through faith in Jesus Christ because there's no difference. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. But in verse 
24, justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, God presented Christ as the atoning sacrifice. Because the atoning sacrifice was presented, we can be justified. God can be just in demanding a penalty for sin and at the same time justify because Christ paid the penalty. And we now can have justification before God. So I want to reflect a few moments on just the whole issue of justification, this righteousness from God. Justification that is possible because of Christ's resurrection is the judicial act of God whereby he declares righteous the one who believes on Christ. We're dealing with a legal, permanent transaction. Righteousness that is from God, this justification that is from God in verse 26 justifies those who have faith in Christ. Four ideas involved in this whole idea of justification. We're dealing with a legal, permanent transaction that involves the remission of penalty. The penalty for sin is spiritual, physical, and eternal death. If an unbeliever is to be saved, this penalty must be removed because we're legally guilty. And the penalty by God has been announced. It was removed by the death of Christ who bore the punishment for our sins on his own body. In 1 Peter, just listen as I read, chapter 2, in verse 24, Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Since Christ has taken the human penalty for sin, God now remits in the case of him who believes on Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 And verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is more than a pardon for sin. It's a declaration by God that the sinner, though guilty, has had his guilt remitted in Christ. It also involves a restoration to favor. The sinner is not merely, or does not merely incur a penalty, but also loses God's favor. John 3 and verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. See, the remission of penalty is one thing. Restoration to favor is another. Mere acquittal or remission would leave the sinner in the position of a discharged criminal. Justification goes further in that it implies that God's treatment of the sinner is as if he had never sinned. 
since now he has the righteousness of Christ. Galatians 3 and verse 6 says, Consider Abraham, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In this restoration, there is not only acquittal, but approval. Not only pardon, but promotion. Remission from sin is never separated from restoration to favor. But there's a third item involved in justification, and that's the imputation of righteousness. The sinner is not only pardoned for his sins and restored to favor, but he also must be supplied with a positive righteousness before one comes into a fellowship with God. This need is supplied in the imputation of righteousness. To impute is to reckon to one. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30 says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God and redemption. I'm sorry, wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, if we can take someone who is in prison, they're dressed in prison garb, they may be forgiven, they may be restored to favor, but they get out into life with their prison garb. Justification says God has clothed us in his righteousness. Justification also says there's a new legal standing before God. The sinner is no longer under the condemnation of sin. Instead, the justified believer stands before God in Christ. There has been an absolute interchange of position. Christ takes the place of the sinner, the place of the curse being made a curse in our behalf and judged for our sin while we stand in Christ's righteousness. As we saw in Romans 3 in verse 25, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. In his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul says, <laughs> 4 and 5, But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Redeem those under the law, receive the full rights of sons a new standing before God. We talk about the resurrection of Christ and Romans 4 and verse 25 says, because of Christ's resurrection, we can be justified. We can have remission of a penalty. We can be restored to favor. We have an imputation of righteousness and a new legal standing before God. 
the grounds of this justification is totally and completely dependent upon the work of Christ. There is no imputed righteousness apart from Christ alone. Christ became our substitute. In a book entitled For Fathers Who Aren't in Heaven, the account is shared of Michael, who usually took his family out each week to see a movie or to some sports event. When they would come home, they would build a fire in the fireplace and they would pop popcorn and have a good time together as a family. During one of these evenings as the family went out, Billy made a real pest of himself in the car. So he was disciplined to be sent to his room and miss the popcorn and the family time. When the fire had been built and the popcorn was ready, Michael went back to Billy's room and said, Son, you may go out to be with the family. I'll stay and take your discipline. Through Michael's action, the entire family experienced a vivid example of what Christ did for everybody. The method of justification is so very, very clear in Romans chapter 3. It's by faith. Verse 21, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law is made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 26, He did this to demonstrate His justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith. In Jesus Christ. Verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded on what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. Verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Verse 30. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same it's faith in what Christ has done so when I stand before God and if God were to say if it's done this way I don't know God says Dan why should I let you into heaven the only response I can offer is because of Jesus Christ that I've accepted what he has done in my place the account is shared of D.L. Moody as he was preaching in England. And it had been well publicized that D.L. Moody was speaking at a particular church. And a little street boy that looked terrible and smelled terrible and was dressed terrible walked up the steps to the church. And the man at the door said, you can't come in. You're not dressed appropriate. You don't smell very good. And the little boy went down the steps and sat on the curb and cried. Why wouldn't they let me in? I want to hear this guy speak. As he was sitting there crying, a carriage came along and a man stepped out of the carriage and the man saw the little boy sitting on the curb crying and he said to the little boy, why are you crying? We said, I went up these steps and I wanted to go in 
to hear this man that's going to speak. And they said, I couldn't. I'm not dressed appropriate. I don't smell good. And I'm not clean. And the man said, take a hold of my coattail and just follow me. I'll get you in. So the man went up the steps, the little boy behind him, the little boy hanging on to the man's coattails. And the man walked by the men who before had stopped him, and they didn't say a word to the little boy because he hung on to the man's coattails. And he followed the man into the church. He followed him up to the front. He followed him up on the platform. And the man said, you may sit on the platform while I speak. What made the difference? The man was D.L. Moody. Our justification is not because of what we have done. We're like that little boy, dirty, filthy, dressed in messed up things. And Christ says, in essence, grab my coattail. Put faith in me. And I will dress you in my righteousness. And the Father will accept you. Way of Application, make a choice to set your focus in life and choices in daily life by refusing to bring up charges against other believers. What is the application of justification? We may take mud and we may throw it at another believer and it just falls off their white garments because they have been justified by Christ. And in the same way, refuse to dwell in charges that unbelievers or other believers or anyone may bring against you because your white garments don't accept dirt because you've been justified by Jesus Christ. We come to faith in Christ. That's the application. Make choices. A choice and choices to view yourself as justified. Declared righteous. You have a legal standing before God. Your sin has been remitted and so on. To view other believers as justified. Rather than viewing your mate or your parents or your children, if they're believers in Christ, as being real bummy, They've been declared righteous. It's going to change how you respond to them. Treat other believers as justified. Not only view them that way, treat them that way. View unbelievers, those that have not come to faith in Christ, as potential candidates for justification. Jesus Christ paid the penalty so that we could be justified. We could be declared righteous. A price had to be paid. The repentant, believing sinner can enjoy justification and a host of other items because of Christ. Paul Harvey tells a story of Lieutenant Commander Edward Henry Butch O'Hare, the Navy's number one ace in the Second World War and the first Navy aviator to ever win the Congressional Medal of Honor. Chicago's O'Hare International Airport is named for him. 
What Butch O'Hare became, however, was possible because someone else paid a price. That is a great price. That someone was Butch's father, Edward J. O'Hare, a slick lawyer for the gangster Al Capone. Artful Eddie, as he was known, had money and power. But one day he squealed on Capone. Why? Why did he have a change of heart? He wanted to give his son a break, he said. Before long, the mob silenced Artful Eddie with two gunshot blasts. But because of Eddie's courageous change of heart, his son Butch was accepted at Annapolis. Eddie's confession and subsequent death satisfied admissions people that the family mob's connections had been severed. Artful Eddie paid with his own life for his son chance to make good. Something Jesus Christ has done for each of us on the cross. My simple question is, have you experienced justification through faith in Christ? If not, why not now? Say, Christ, I know Romans 3 describes me. I'm not righteous. I don't seek God and so on. But I know that Christ gave his life for me. That's the invitation. And if you come to faith in Christ, the invitation extends to live out that justification day by day. Let's pray together. Father, as we reflect on Easter and the resurrection of Christ, we reflect on the fact that because of his resurrection, we can be justified. Father, may we ponder and reflect on this justification. Possibly because of a price that has been paid. Not only because of the price paid, but because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, it still blows me away and probably more at this point in life than even 10 or 15 years ago. that I who was dressed in the rags of sin and transgression have now been dressed in, your righteous, or in Christ's righteousness. <clears throat> those, those, uh, those of us here who are believers who were dressed in the rags of sin and transgression are seen as righteous Thank you, Father, for that extension of grace to us. May we live in response to our justification. For your glory, Father. 
And as we reflect on your resurrection, the balance of the day, we know that life, as we call life in Christ, is possible because of your choice to give Christ and Christ's choice in the garden to say, not my will, but yours. Thank you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.